Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 20. It's a passage that begins with the words, finally. And you've probably learned by now that when a preacher says finally, it usually means he's going to keep on going for quite some time. And that's what we're doing in this final section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're going to break it down into four sermons. This is the second of four. And it's so important we need to take these truths to heart. In this passage, God is reminding us that everyone who follows Jesus is being led into a war zone. And he's rallying us to hold fast, to stand firm in this battle that rages against us. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, think of Sir William Wallace, also known as Mel Gibson, summoning the sons of Scotland to stand firm against the encroaching English army that was so much bigger and appeared so much stronger than they were. And he's telling them not to retreat, to fight for their freedom. Hear the call of Christ, our captain, as he does the same for us this morning, beginning at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray together. Holy Father, your word, the Bible, is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it commands, trusted in all that it promises, and revered in all that it reveals. So give us grace through your Holy Spirit to believe what you teach us today. Give us grace to obey what you command us, Give us grace to trust what you promise us and give us grace to revere all that you reveal to us of yourself in your holy word for the sake of the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. If you've ever gone through middle school and survived, or maybe you're in it right now, you might be able to identify with this little story from Pastor Garrett Kell. 
It was the boys' first day of middle school. All was going well until three older kids took his lunch, ruffled his hair, and stuffed him in a locker. They snarled at his squeals and high-fived one another as they walked away. What the bullies didn't know, though, was that the kid in the locker was the little brother of the football team's starting middle linebacker. After lunch, the boy told his brother what happened. His brother looked him in the eyes and said, let's go. As the boy came to his locker, the bullies were waiting for him, grinning. But he hadn't come alone this time. He came in the strength of his older brother. That was the last day they messed with him. If you're a friend of God... You're an enemy of the devil. If you have experienced the forgiveness of your sins and the love of God through Jesus' death on the cross for you, then that also means that you have an enemy who hates you and wants to destroy you. He doesn't just want to stuff you in a locker. He wants to drag you down to hell so that you'll share in his misery forever. But here's some good news that will increase your spiritual muscle mass in this fight that we're in. You have an older brother who has met our enemy head on and crushed him. The empty tomb of the risen Savior is proof of that. When Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought he was going to bury him once for all. But Jesus took the devil's death shackles and burst them apart. He rolled away the the stone and he walked out of that tomb a conqueror over the kingdom of darkness. And here's the main point I want us to get today. The only thing you need to be victorious in our battle with Satan, is to keep trusting in the strength of your older brother. It's the only thing you need. Keep trusting in the victory that Jesus has already won. Satan knows he's no match for Jesus. He knows his doom is sure. But the devil has tunnel vision. And he focuses on this present moment. He's not going to go down into the lake of fire without a fight. So he's mounting a fierce counterinsurgency against Christ's church. If he can't get Jesus, he's going to go after us. He knows he can't take him down, but he wants to bring us with him. So he schemes. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He deceives. He distracts. He hinders. He bullies. He harasses the saints. And all you need to do to stand firm against him is to rely on the strength of your older brother. Call on his strength. The outcome of this spiritual battle rests on Christ's performance, not on our skill or our strength. Put your trust wholly in Jesus and in the victory he has already accomplished. Let Jesus loom large over every part of your life. When the enemy bullies you, tell him, Jesus is right there with me. He's fighting for me, and I'm clothed in his armor. 
Do what verse 13 says. Take up the armor that God has provided because it's been handed down to you from your older brother. Jesus has already worn this armor himself. Jesus has tried it. He's tested it. He's put that armor through the most extreme conditions. And that armor is certifiably able to protect anyone who wears it from the fiercest onslaughts of hell. There's no chink in this armor. The devil cannot penetrate it. You are safe in the armor of your older brother. It'll fit you just fine. Put it on. But you have to keep it on. You have to wear it day and night. You have to wear it when you're walking. You have to wear it when you're working. You have to wear it when you're waking. You have to wear it when you're sleeping. There's going to come a day when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to take that armor off. You're going to be able to walk around in the streets of gold just in the beautiful, comfortable robes of Christ's righteousness. But that day hasn't come yet. For now, you need to get used to wearing this armor 24-7. Even when you're old enough to qualify for coffee free at McDonald's, you still have to wear this armor. There's never going to come a point in your life where you can say, I'm checking out of the battle. I'm retiring. You're enlisted. You're in this fight till the day you die. So how do we put this into practice? We have an invisible enemy who we can't see with our eyes and it, 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 we, we can't see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And we're being told to put on an armor, but how do you put on an invisible armor? How do you arm yourself in your inner being that you also can't see to stand firm against an enemy who is very real but unseen to you? How do you take an armor that you can't touch or strap on physically? That's what we're going to think about together in the next couple of weeks. And this week, we're going to look at the first two pieces of the whole armor of God today. We're going to look at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So let's talk about, first of all, what it means in verse 14, to stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. The belt of truth. This was a crucial piece in a soldier's armor because other pieces were attached to it. They would, they would connect the sword to the belt. And also the breastplate was connected to the belt. So if the belt comes unbuckled or if the belt's not on, nothing else in the armor is going to stay on. Another thing about the belt is that this is what the soldier would use to gather up his flowing tunic and tie it in place so that he could move freely in battle. The only analogy I could think of is if you go out running, you always have to make sure that your shorts elastic is tight enough, that it's not getting loose because you can't run well if you're worried about holding your shorts up. And that's how the truth functions in the life of a Christian. When a soldier tightens his belt, he feels a sense of strength, confidence that everything that I need to be safe and secure in this battle is being held in place by this belt. It's the truthfulness of the gospel that holds us together when the battle is raging. And friends, I want to remind you today that we have a God who is trustworthy and true. It says about him in Titus, he's a God who cannot lie. It says that in Hebrews as, as well. It's impossible for him to lie. Psalm 12, verse 6 says that his word is true. The words of the Lord are pure words. 
like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. Absolutely true and reliable. Our Savior Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, the prophet promises a Savior who's going to come and save his people from their unfaithfulness. And Isaiah says this, righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness, or the other word for that in the Greek Old Testament is truth, will be a belt around his waist. So Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's the Messiah who comes with truth as a belt around his waist. That means you can trust Jesus. There's never a shade of falsehood, never an exaggeration, never a hint of insincerity in Jesus. Jesus is able to keep every promise he makes, and he will do it. He will bring it to pass. His word will never lead you astray. Now, Satan, he's the antithesis of all that. He is the very opposite of trustworthy. Jesus said of the devil in John 8, 44, that he's a liar. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the fundamental character of the devil. Liar. One of the Puritans wrote, Satan does not control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. Satan does not control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies on the heart. Let me tell you the number one lie Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that God's word cannot be trusted. That the gospel is not true. That Jesus isn't someone you can be confident in. He's got a thousand variations on this same theme, but this is the melody line he's been perfecting since the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Satan's main aim is to get you to believe that the gospel is not worthy of your confidence, that the word of God cannot be trusted, that Jesus is not faithful and true. And if you believe that, then you'll believe that you're a guilt-ridden, defeated, doomed sinner, that you're doomed to fail, that there's no use in fighting because the battle is already lost. So Satan wants to undermine your confidence in Christ and the gospel. That's what he's all about. If you want to stand firm in this battle, you've got to keep coming back to the truth of God's word. Keep standing on the promises of Christ my King. Keep trusting in the truth of the gospel that Jesus Riding on a white horse, his name is faithful and true. And when you've lied and when you've deceived and when you've sinned against him, he's the faithful and true one who has stood in your place and taken the guilt and shame of your sin so that you can be forgiven and made right with God. We read in Ephesians 1 verse 13, In Christ you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And when did that happen? When you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. And you've got to keep hearing that word of truth. You've got to keep listening to the gospel of your salvation. Keep believing it 
because the devil's going to keep telling you lies. Here's another thing that the father of lies wants to do. He loves to create people who are just like him. He loves to share in the company of falsehood. And so he wants to make you a liar just like he is. That's the devil's aim. But listen to what happens when the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel comes flooding into your life. Jesus prayed this to the Father in John 17, 17. He said to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So when the word of truth keeps flooding into your life, you become a person who's being more and more sanctified by that truth. In other words, you're going to become an increasingly honest, truth-filled, truth-telling person. And that's what we read about in Ephesians 4, verse 25. Patrick preached on this a few months ago. What did it say? Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So putting on the belt of truth means trusting in the objective truth of the gospel And it also means being transformed by that truth into people who tell the truth. And that's the exact opposite of what Satan wants us to be. Satan wants us to be a community that's afraid to tell the truth to one another. Satan wants us to be a community that's afraid to acknowledge the truth that we're sinners who need a savior. He wants us to be people who are afraid to confess to one another our sins. He wants us to think that we can manage our own sin and that we can't trust one another to love us enough to know the truth about us. So he wants to keep us hiding in the darkness. But when we listen to the truth of the gospel, it has the effect of making us truthful people who have nothing to hide. And the effect of that is it brings us together in the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace as we speak the truth in love to one another in the body. So put on the belt of truth. When you have the belt of truth holding you together in the gospel, you can resist the devil's schemes to turn you into a liar, liar with pants on fire just like he is. He's a liar. So how do you do that? You can't physically put on a belt It's going to protect you from this spiritual battle. But you can take the truth of God. It's revealed in this book. It's on every page and every word of this book. And you can bring every part of your life under the binding authority of this book. That's what it means to put on the belt of truth. It means, God, I'm going to take my thoughts. I'm going to take my feelings. I'm going to take my aspirations I'm going to take my conversations, I'm going to take my conduct, and I'm going to bring it under the binding authority of the truth of Scripture. Lord Jesus, my older brother, by grace, I want to know the truth. Because you said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So take on the belt of truth. Listen to God's word. Hear the word of God. You need this in your life. And if you stop listening to God's word and let your trust in the Bible get eroded, then the rest of the armor won't hold in place and Satan can easily get a foothold in your life. So saturate your life in the truth. Listen to the truth in scripture. Love the truth. Build your life upon the firm foundation of the truth that God has revealed. Truth is what holds it all together. Stand therefore.
with truth like a belt around your waist. That's the first piece of armor we're looking at today. Now let's go to the second, the breastplate of righteousness. This is just beautiful. Look at verse 14 again. Righteousness like armor on your chest. When a soldier put on the breastplate, it would cover the front of him and the back of him. And it was designed to protect the vital organs from being assaulted. Satan has a massive assault weapon. And it has bullets that he aims right at two of the vital organs that need to be protected as, uh, of your faith. The first vital organ that Satan wants to put a bullet through is the vital organ of your confidence in God's love and God's acceptance of you. Theologically, this is called the vital organ of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Satan's got his assault weapon aimed straight at that vital organ. The second vital organ that Satan aims his assault weapon at is the vital organ of your personal holiness, your sanctification. Satan's going after both of these. And only the breastplate of righteousness is bulletproof against Satan's assault rifle. It's the breastplate that will cause those bullets to bounce right back. So let's look at the first bullet Satan wants to fire. He wants to kill your confidence in God's love for you. He wants you to believe you're too messed up for God to treasure you. He wants you to believe that your sins are too great for God to forgive you. He wants you to believe you're the one who's failed one too many times, so the gospel, it applies to everyone else, but not to you. And I think every Christian in this room has heard those lies of Satan telling you, you're not good enough, God does not love you, you do not, you're not accepted, you're not forgiven. And you need a bulletproof vest to keep that demonic bullet from destroying your confidence in God's love. And that bulletproof vest is a doctrine you need to know, love, cherish, and believe. I'm going to give you a big word now. It's the doctrine of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And I told the kids in the first service that if you can go home and use that word imputation in a sentence and make it make sense, maybe your mom and dad will take you to Dairy Queen this week. <laughs> so I had kids coming up to me afterwards saying, importation, import, no, not importation, imputation, okay? Let's talk about what imputation means. What imputation means is that God is able to take what truly belongs to someone else and God's able to take what belongs to them and fully credit it to you even though you didn't earn it or deserve it. So it's the transfer of what belongs to someone else to you even though you didn't earn it or deserve it. That's imputation. There's only one person who truly has righteousness in himself. There's only one person who always did what was pleasing to his heavenly father, and his name is Jesus. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, the prophet promised a savior who would come and he would put on righteousness as his breastplate. And he was going to come into the world and he was going to do battle on behalf of his people. And here's how he did it. 
He first went back to the beginning of the story where we messed everything up. And he started retracing our steps and redoing our story in our place. At every point where we failed, Jesus performed perfectly. Do you ever wish that you could just scrub something from the audio and video feed of your life? Just totally get rid of it. And it would never be in any data bank that could ever be brought up against you again. Well, Jesus did that. He went back where you and I and all of humanity failed and he gave a flawless performance in our place. He was a true natural. Everything you've ever longed for a noble human being to be, Jesus was. But Jesus didn't just perform like a virtuoso in our place and say, okay, I've shown you now how to do it. Now copy me. Go and do likewise. Jesus knew there was no way that we were going to be able to copy him because our hearts are filled with all kinds of ugly things that never found a home in his heart. We need a heart like his in order to live like his, and we don't have it. So if Jesus was going to change the story for humanity, he had to do more than just perform our role perfectly. He also had to extinguish all the darkness and all the evil and hatred and pride and jealousy and greed and lust that has been seething in our sinful hearts ever since the Garden of Eden, and we can't get rid of it. And Jesus had to show that he was able to conquer all that sin, to eradicate it, to defeat it. And there was only one way that Jesus could do that, and that was by taking the full brunt of all that sin upon himself. So instead of coming into this world to be applauded for his virtuosity, for his great performance, instead he chose to be despised and rejected by the very ones he came to save. Instead of receiving the adulation of the masses, he chose instead to become an object of ridicule and scorn. And it drove him all the way to the most degrading, vile, despicable form of punishment and torture and execution that has ever been invented by humanity, crucifixion on a Roman cross. Jesus voluntarily gave up his head to be crowned with sharp thorns. And he let a spike be driven into his wrists and into his ankles And then he let those Roman soldiers lift up his his battered, bloodied body on a splintered, rugged cross of wood to be publicly exposed to the jeering and mocking of sinful passers-by. And as Jesus hung on that cross, God the Father stripped him of his breastplate of righteousness And the Holy Father, who Jesus had always lived to please, started treating him like the embodiment of all the most wicked, despicable sins of everyone who had ever come to place their trust in Jesus. Jesus was stripped of his own righteousness and smeared with the vileness and filthiness of our guilt and our shame. Jesus became the adulterer, the murderer, the thief, the betrayer, the liar, and the fool that you and I have been and that you and I cannot stop being apart from his grace. And Jesus felt the onslaught of the Father's holy wrath against all our vile wickedness. And then he died this shameful death of the worst of sinners. 
all of this so that the guilt of your sins and mine could be expunged, blotted from the record, so that our debt could be paid in full and canceled and forgiven, so that our perverse and rebellious ways could be cast into the depths of the sea, never to be drudged up against us, and so that our transgressions can be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That's imputation. That's God taking the guilt and shame of our sins and placing it fully on Christ who did not earn or deserve the punishment he bore. But it doesn't stop there. After he died on that cross, God raised Jesus from the dead because none of our sins could hold him down. He paid the penalty. He took care of everything that stood between us and God, and he became the firstborn of a new creation, a new creation that can no longer be stained or sullied by our sin anymore. And now we can be clothed in the beauty of Christ's perfect robes of righteousness. That's also what imputation is. It's taking the perfect record of Jesus' righteousness and God crediting it to us who never earned or deserved that record. And when we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ now, God sees us just as if we had never sinned, just as if we had always obeyed. There's nothing that we could do that could make him love us less, nothing we can do that would cause him to love us more. And he welcomes us into his family, and he lavishes us with his kindness, and he treats us with the very same love that he has for his son, Jesus. That's imputation. We hear it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you put on the breastplate of righteousness by trusting in these gospel truths, by saying to Jesus, you are my one defense, you are my righteousness, and I stand before God in you and in you alone. When you do that, when you put on that breastplate of righteousness and trust in the gospel, the devil's assault weapon, his bullet, cannot destroy your confidence, your assurance that God has loved you and accepted you because you've been justified by grace through faith in Christ. But if the devil can't get that vital organ, he wants to go after another. And that's the vital organ of your sanctification, the vital organ of your practical righteousness, of your holiness. Because to live in the joy of the gospel, you've got to know two things. You've got to know I'm justified by God. I'm accepted by him. You've got to know this every day. You've got to wake up in the morning like I do almost every day, and I say, Lord, I'm accepted. The guilt of my sin is covered by the righteousness of Christ, and I thank you for that. You've got to know that. But you've also got to know a second truth. You've got to know you're freed from bondage to sin through the power of Jesus in your life and that the Holy Spirit is now working in you to bring about a new kind of life, that the fruit of holiness is starting to bear fruit in your life. And the devil wants to go after that. He wants to go after God's work in you, making you resemble the family likeness. So like father, like son, like daughter. 
And the effect of where, that's, that's another effect that wearing the breastplate of righteousness will have on your life. Not only does it shield you from the devil's assaults against you as a sinner, because it reminds you that you're justified by grace through faith alone. Wearing that breastplate also reminds you that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, changing you to become more like Jesus. It reminds you that you are now called to live a righteous life. You're no longer a slave of sin. Sin can't boss you around and run your life into the gutter the way it used to because now you're a slave to righteousness because you belong to Jesus, the holy and righteous one. You're wearing his breastplate now. So when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it protects this vital organ of your personal holiness, of the spirit sanctifying work in your life, and you start to change just like what we read about in Ephesians 4. Verse 24, where it said, we are to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And let me tell you, when Satan sees those who were once his slaves, now starting to present themselves as slaves to the one who crushed him on the cross, he hates it. He hates it when he sees those who he formerly held captive now starting to resemble more and more Christ, the one who conquered him. It fills him with rage when we say no to sexual immorality and impurity or greed. And we no longer find ourselves entertained or amused by those who revel in these acts of rebellion. Our former slave master is filled with fury when he sees that. When we who were once darkness refuse now to participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but we instead walk as children of light and we bear the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth, and when we look more and more like our older brother, oh, Satan says, I can't stand that. When we pay careful attention to how we walk in this world because we want to make the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time because the days are evil and we want to live for the glory of Jesus, Satan starts to tremble. And when we put on that breastplate of righteousness, it protects us from Satan's attacks to seduce us back into our former rebellious ways. And when the devil sees the resemblance of our older brother growing in our lives, it fills him with terror and he flees in horror. This is how we resist the devil, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So I hope you can see that all that we need to stand firm in this battle is to keep trusting in the gospel. Keep calling on the strength of your older brother. Keep standing firm in the victory that he has already won. And remember, like we talked about last week, it's about direction, not perfection. Sometimes that belt's going to get loose. Or we're going to forget to put it on. And we're going to fall back into our lying ways. We're going to forget the truth. But remember, Jesus always had had that belt of truth fastened, secure. Sometimes we're going to let down the breastplate of righteousness. and, And we're going to fall prey to the old and wicked ways of unrighteousness. But remember, Jesus always wore that breastplate of righteousness. And he will never fail to cover us and to cleanse us. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory, from the place of victory that Christ has won for us. Jesus has won the war. 
we're in the mop-up operation now. We're, we're just only, there's only one thing we need to do to keep standing. And there's only thing, one, one thing we need to do to get back up on our feet when we fall. And that's keep trusting in Jesus. Rely on the strength of your big, big brother. Because the outcome of the battle rests on his performance, not on our skill, not on our strength. So let's stand together and let's tell him how much we need him. We're going to sing, my one defense my righteousness. Oh Lord, how I need you. We say that to you, Jesus. God has made you to be for us wisdom, righteousness, redemption, so that as we boast, we have nothing in ourselves to boast in, but we boast in you, our victorious Lord. We thank you for the victory that you've won for us, and we thank you that you are with us in the battle. We love you, Jesus. Amen.